Traders Live podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Traders Live podcast, or if this is your first time, welcome to the Traders Live podcast where we get guests on, they trade live for an hour, and we, we talk all things trading. Today, we've got a great guest. He's probably the one of the OGs of, of sort of online Australian trading, been around the traps, has a well-established Discord community and, and YouTube channel. And is also a great trader in his own right. Welcome, Demoniaco. How are you, mate? G'day, g'day, lads. Good to be here. Also joined by my co-host, Marto. G'day, Marto. Chugs. Demo, how are you, mate? Not too bad, mate. Yourself? Good. good. All right. I think let's get into it. If this is your first time joining, we get $20,000. We get our guest. They have an hour to trade. And at the end... They get put on a leaderboard against all the other guests. It is just a bit of fun. Also, just a reminder, it is educational purposes only. Don't do anything that uh, you see here because you'll likely lose money. With that, I am going to go ahead and start the one-hour timer for you, mate. Far away. Boom. And off we go, mate. So what... What approach, really quick before we get into you, what approach are you going to be showing us or what's your plan strategy involved in the next hour? Uh, hopefully to be flat. That would be just an ideal situation while having a position open. Because to be to be fair today, uh, the US has closed overnight, so we've got no lead-in, so we've got no uranium moves, got no commodity moves just generally. Um, there's no lead-in for you know, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500. Uh, so everything's pretty much closed, and the only thing that's open is, well, I guess the other markets, like the, the, the Nikkei, the Chinese market and stuff. But uh, really, the lead-in from the US is kind of the most important for what I do, particularly when there's no Catalyst News events, uh, such as today as well. So there really wasn't much in terms of Catalyst News. So I'm really just flying blind, so to speak. Uh, I've taken one trade today and uh, got stopped out. And I'll actually show you this on JB Hi-Fi. I think it's actually a prime example of the style of trading that I do when there's no Catalyst news events. Actually, it applies to both Catalyst and non-Catalyst, but this is just a, a classic kind of trade that I take uh, every day. And this is something I drill into the community as well in my YouTube videos is range breaks. I think in terms of quality of chart setups this one is just not a plus but it's pretty up there in terms of its its relevance and its usefulness in terms of just trading every single day so here i've got jb hi-fi uh really the only reason i looked at this is because it's been stonk in the last few days so if i bring up the daily chart it's been on a nice tear and it's like okay there's going to be a pullback at some point and today just happened to be that day where it's gapped down a little bit and it's formed a range break. So the definition of a range break is when a stock opens up and it moves in one direction and then pivots off that point, that's your range. So at the moment, the range, sorry, the range is between open and this price here at $59 or just under 59. So that's the range. And sorry, mate, is that the first, what, 15 minutes you look at, is it? Uh, yeah, so you're looking at, yeah. this is the one minute chart. So yeah. that's for that, the, for that range that you set, that's the yeah. range. Yeah, so that's from 10.04 to 10.09. Yep. So that, that range is, if we look at it in real time like this, it's that's how it's defined, it sort of bottoms out. So we draw a pivot and then it starts reversing. So once it stops making a new low and 
conversely, when it stops making new high, if it's going to the upside, uh, that's the range. And then it's just a matter of waiting for the break. So as it happens, taking a short or waiting for it to come back for the retest and shorting the retest of that range. So it usually comes back up. That'll be a nice short entry. And then what you see is it comes off. And then that's going to be uh, the start of the position. And then it's just a matter of finding out where the take profit is. And generally, it's going to be because it's an inside day today. Not much is going to happen. It's it's very likely going to bounce inside of yesterday's range because again, no lead in from the US, really flying blind. So the only thing we have to go on is this pivot point from yesterday, which is the low of yesterday. So fifty eight sixty nine, as you can see, it gets there quite nicely, and that's it. That's that's pretty much the end of this particular trade. It's not very exciting. Um, usually range breaks tend to have much more momentum. They tend to go to about 10.45 to 11 o'clock in the morning. But this one just lasted for about just a few minutes and hit a key pivot point and that was it. Um, what I was hoping was to uh, set a stop on this one and the stop was 59.06-ish. So just, just, above, um, just above the entry point. So the risk to reward really would have been around seven or eight ticks to make about 30 or so. So simple trade, this one. Um, you know, when there's news catalyst, it tends to move a lot more significantly. It's a lot more exciting. You tend to get trades that are like six to one, seven to one, eight to one. You get really good risk to reward typically on range breaks. And uh, unfortunately on this one, I sort of just set the stop loss, decided to come onto the podcast and I was just like, oh, I'll just see if it see if it runs and it got stopped out. So that's all right. I mean, it's not like I put size on or anything because it's this t- days like today can't really put size on anything. It's just kind of a watch and react to what's happening. But, you know, it still took the still took the short on the range break and just, uh, yeah, just set stops and kind of walked away and that's it and unfortunately there's no VWAP as well but what usually happens is you end up having once the range break happens you usually end up having uh, VWAP lining up with the retest as well depending on how long it takes for the retest to happen so we end up with uh, unfortunately there's no VWAP indicator here but usually line up with uh, the the range break VWAP and then you kind of can double down or rather I double down on the trade as well and then you end up with a second and then a, a kind of a third wave as well on uh, on days that are a bit more active and have more liquidity. So that's kind of like if I was to ever teach someone one chart setup that you could probably do forever, um, it's this one. This one is just reliable. It's consistent. And there are nuances, nuances to it, um, such as the size of the volume that's breaking out. And there's little, little bits and pieces you can uh, piece together to make this a really... Um, functional trade for you on on an everyday basis. So uh, that's one example, and hopefully I'm just I'm just kind of eyeballing just what JBH does. Um, if it falls back under this pivot point, maybe take a short. Uh, but at the moment, I don't really see anything else today. I was eyeballing Hub as well today, so this one was more of a uh, more of a, a tape reading trade uh, pre market. Hopefully, it loads. Yeah, sorry, that's that's <laughs> So it's City Index might not quite go that low. I'm not. Sh- I'm not markets. sure if it's actually called HubSpot. I just know the ticker is no, H-U-B. no. It's, that's uh, it's a US market. It might be uh, Starhub then. 
sorry, the ticker is HUB, but basically the idea there was it was queued up with um, 10,000 shares on $37 this morning on uh, on the offer, so a negative surplus of 10,000 shares. And on the bid, there was like 1,000 shares, 2,000 shares, and it was like very thinly traded. And uh, it was just a really clean match trade, that one. So uh, that's like a really good example as well. But unfortunately, that one, again, because of liquidity today is a bit low, so it wasn't as exciting. So I think I might just stay with uh, JB Hi-Fi and kind of just eyeball that one because I believe the uh, Australia 200 is also not really doing too much. Bit of an inside day as well. So it's kind of a, unfortunately today is a bit, bit of a bit of a watch and act rather than a trading day. So That's all right. So we've obviously sort of dived straight into to one of the trades that you take, but for anyone who sort of looks at your YouTube or has been around for a while, sort of those range breaks around those mid caps seem to be something that you like to be quite active in and then in small caps as well. Is that right? You sort of have found some success there in previous years. Um, are those sort of the two sort of trades or two areas that you play in the market quite consistently? Yeah, mid caps and micros. Uh, yeah, those two, anything with a catalyst I'll sort of be involved in. Yep. Um, I usually don't touch any kind of micros beyond catalyst day unless unless it's really significant and pulls in lots of liquidity for day two and three but generally it's just catalyst and then i use that catalyst to determine the estimated market cap price that i'd be targeting like the peak price and then i'd use the ta the charting to tell me how it gets there as well as tape reading as well that's all intraday that's all intraday is there any instances where you do do multi-day holds um in your trade No, I'm just, I'm trying to think. Um, there was back in the day when the conditions I found were more reliable, and that was uh, pre-COVID. But these days, I, I just don't find I have that edge anymore in holding overnight. It feels like such a coin flip. And I know so many other people that do it, and I I try and get it out of them to understand how they do it and what the the you know the reasoning behind it is, just to for my own sake, just to learn. But I really haven't been able to piece together some sort of coherent strategy or anything that gives me more than like a 50% edge. So I just don't think it's worth it for me. Demo, is that with the that um, strategy that you just showed us there, is that applicable to the small caps or is that the match trading stuff? Yeah, so this works best with uh, high liquidity. So you might only find this works on maybe one or two micros a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, it really demands liquidity in order for it to work. Okay. Yeah, great. And so do you, well, also base it on your multi-day holds. That's my bread and butter. And I can tell you the last 12, 18 months since retail sort of disappeared and we've seen lower trading volumes across the ASX, there has been less strength in names for those continuations to play out. So I definitely don't think you're uh, you're missing out on too much there. That's for sure. Um, oh, look, I'm, I'm feeling it intraday as well, right? Like yeah. Market participants feel like they've dipped. Their liquidity has dipped quite a lot as well. So it's, yeah. it's across the board pretty has nasty a, the last 18 months. How has that affected your trading in the last 18 months? I've had to be selective, okay. really selective in terms yeah. of um, choices for what to trade. I mean, I've had far more days in 2023 that I haven't traded than ever before, like sure. substantially more. Um and I, I, I count days where 
you know, I'm putting peanuts for size on to count as not taking trades. Cause you know, if I'm, if I'm making like five bucks a tick, I'm really doing that just to get a feel for the market and what it's doing. So if I'm not confident in a particular chart setup or trade, if I just put in five bucks a tick, I make 15 bucks or lose 10 bucks or something, then it's just like, I don't count that as a particular, like a trading day. That's just sure. me trying sure. to stay active and trying to work uh, chart patterns intraday, trying to find setups that work because what you'll, or rather what I find is that if something happens once, that's unusual. It's just like, whatever. Something happens twice. It's like, oh, that's a bit of a coincidence. But if something happens three times, it's now a trend. Mm. So that's kind of why I stay on uh, pretty much every day. Even though I don't take trades every day necessarily, let alone big size trades, it's uh, just about pattern recognition and staying in touch with the market because we've recently had something that's happened um, that's unusual and that's now become a trend and that's double bottoms. Right. So double bottoms in the last ooh, two years maybe mm. have just not been a thing. Right. You see a chart set up, um, let's say JBH in this example, let me just clean up the chart a little bit. Uh, so something that looks like this would be a classic double bottom where it hits $59 again and then it rallies to the upside. It's just not something that has happened in the last two years consistently on a chart setup, especially with news. It just just doesn't happen. Um, but now it has in the last week. We've, I've seen it three or four times now. And it's now been a setup that I'm taking. So yeah. that's why I'm staying active and needs to sort of keep in, you know, uh, keep looking at the charts. So now it's become, I think, uh, let me try and find, ex uh, I don't know the stock names and this doesn't take tickers. <laughs> I think CPO is an example where it double bottomed on news. Um, if one of you guys don't mind looking up the name of the stock for CPO. Yeah, it's C-U-L-P-E-O, Opio Minerals. Uh, say that again, sorry. C U L P E O. Coolpio. Okay. Too small. Ah, uh, too small, is it? Yeah. That's all right. But that's an example for anyone that wants to look at it. Uh, there was a Catalyst News Day and it went sideways for about 20 minutes or so, which is very unusual for a good Catalyst News event. And mind you, it's early January. So, you know, people are a little bit hesitant to put on size and to push a stock in one direction or the other. But that one double bottomed i think it went down by one tick from like 6.1 was the pivot dropped down to six very briefly for like maybe you know 50 bucks someone put in or something and then it sort of reversed and went to the upside really hard i think it that ended up going to 13 cents over two days or something like that i can't remember exactly but that was like the most recent example of a double bottom on catalyst that's worked really well mm. and it's one of those things where um you know me and my traders in Discord, we, we look at news catalyst events, we go collectively, we agree on, you know, what's going to be the stock for the day. And CPO was the only one really. And we're looking at it, we're going, bloody hell, it's, you know, it's almost 1030 and the thing hasn't moved. In fact, it's double bottomed. But we had an example, three other or two or three other examples prior. We're like, okay, well, double bottoms are actually very likely a thing now so we're taking the actual double bottom trade even though last all of last year you'd never have done it you'd look like an idiot you'd lose money almost every time taking it so it's all about that sort of pattern recognition for us so. that, that seems sorry Mato, this seems to be a uh i guess a cornerstone to how you do trade in terms of pattern recognition and stuff i mean even for you and i like cast 
way back to the afterpay days. And there was examples that you're putting up on Twitter, I think, where there was sort of 19 or 20 consecutive days of, of characteristic around afterpay's close. And that allowed you to consistently trade that pattern until mm -hmm. that stopped. Can you, you'll probably explain this better, but can you explain that afterpay scenario if you can remember that? I don't remember that one specifically, but I do remember the the tightening setup on Afterpay when it was around a hundred dollars and people were like, you know, this thing's overvalued. There's no way this goes any further. And everyone under the sun was bearish on it. At least every retail trader was. Um, but the setup was like a tightening wedge. It was just a simple triangle pattern. And that's after uh, Afterpay had a massive rally. So it would go sideways in a triangle wedge and it's like, oh, this setup has been working on other stocks. You know, it's 2020, 2021. It's really stonky. And um, it was, what was it? Just give me a sec. It was an option trade that had less than a week expiry. Um, it broke out and it was like an 80 bagger. And I was the only one that called it along. And um, it was just simple pattern recognition, just stuff that had happened before. And I was, I was, I was putting it out on Twitter and on YouTube. I think I, I think I made a YouTube video after it. And everyone's talking it down, like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? It's a hundred and something. It's overvalued, yada, yada, yada. It's just like, yeah, but people get emotionally attached to the idea that something's overvalued. It's like, yeah, but it can still keep going. There's no reason it can't. And it's just like, here's your simple simple triangle slash wedge pattern that occurred. And it was a volume pop on a Friday. I remember it was on a Friday. I was trying to get the um, option trade for like 10 cents and it ended up going to $8 within a week. And um, unfortunately, I missed that one because I was a real tight ass on the trade. I missed it by like one tick on the option because uh, for those of you who don't know, options trading, you have a bid and an ask and you always buy the midpoint. And I was like right at the very end of the offer, I put my bid in and I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to get filled because there's never been a scenario ever where I didn't get filled um, on a trade like that. And unfortunately, I, I missed it and didn't get it because I just logged off for the day and I was just like, I'm going to get it. It's fine. I'll, I'll, you know, I've got an hour left in my day. I'll go do something else. And unfortunately, I missed out on an 80 bagger. But um did, back, did, that, back in, did that change your strategy after that moment in terms of like, is it worth paying the extra half a cent? Just oh, every, yeah, every day of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these days I make sure if I see an A plus setup, um, I think WTC last year was that kind of trade exactly mm. um, where I was just like, no, I need to take this because WTC was a, a, a perfect example of like an earnings play that's just ridiculous. Now, I'm not some kind of financial expert in terms of reading reports and stuff, but I think WTC was a good example of just common sense going out the fucking window. It was a stock that I think rallied 100% or even a little bit more. I might be able to bring up the chart for WiseTech actually. Mm -hmm. But it overshot so much uh, in the space of a quarter, so from one financial earnings report to the next, uh, that it didn't make sense. It was, 
Yeah, it was definitely this gap down, but I'm just trying to figure out when the previous earnings report was. Um, basically, it rallied, whatever, 30%. Its financials were trending a few percent every quarter or whatever it was, every half year. Actually, I think it was a, a half-year report. So anyway, it, it's rallied something like 40%, if not more, uh, over the annual, um, you know, it's 80% for a, a large-cap stock. And its growth just wasn't there. You know, you're looking at the chart and you're looking at the data and you're going, yeah, okay, it's going up like 5% in half year or whatever. So how do you justify a stock that's gone 100% when it's growing at 5%, 6%, 7% or something like that? Like it's like, sure, you could bake in the future and maybe say it could be up 15%, maybe 20, but not 40 or 50. Like that just gets absurd. So earnings report comes out. Um, I start building my short here the day uh, on the 21st of August and then the next day as well. And I guess the emotional aspect here is it's like, oh, the market, you know, might know something, you know, why is it, why is it going up in earnings, mm. especially when it's up so much, but then just pulling the trigger and actually just committing to the trade and just shorting it or rather buying puts um, for the downside. So it ended up being a nice little massacre. Uh, and that was a really decent payday. I mean, that's down 20% overnight. So one of the mm. sort of, the biggest sort of plays you can have is a 20% gap on a, on a large cap stock in options. It's, it's massive. Um, I can't remember how many bags that was. It might have ranged from like five to eight. I, I don't really recall, but it was a, a pretty sick trade. Yeah. But uh, that's just like one aspect of um, just common sense. And I'm, I'm like, I don't consider myself having like an edge in earnings and, you know, taking these kinds of trades. But I also did the exact same thing on Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And I'm, mind you, I only take like maybe a handful of trades uh, that are options-based um, every year. And I, I caught one of the biggest um, sell-downs in its history. And it, shit, I can't remember which one it was, whether it was in 21 or 23. Uh, I caught the biggest sell-down it's ever had, so it must have been this one here. It was a massive tank based on uh, net interest margins, NIMs, were going down heavily and was anticipated to drop as well. And it was trading at all-time highs, did a bit of a triple top, it was struggling to maintain its price, and it was on a monster rally, just no pullback whatsoever, um, you know, up 75% for a, you know, our largest stock on the ASX. And there was just no financial justification to keep rallying to the upside. And in fact, there was going to be a, in my expectation, was a large uh, pullback based on the financials and based on the strength of the rally. So these are kind of what I call common sense trades. You know, things are going up 80% since the last mm. financial report. It's going to come off unless it has absolutely something spectacular. But these large stocks, they they don't do anything interesting in their financials. They're up single digit percentage yeah. points it's it's just it's inevitable <laughs> so uh yeah so i take maybe one or two of these a year and um you know when something's overshot you can trust me to be looking at the financial report and the ex like the analyst reports as well and what they're expecting and you know they're expecting 10 5 10 percent and the stock's up 80 percent i'm going to be buying puts yeah great great um Back on, on the trading challenge now, we're 20, 20 minutes in, no trades. Is anything sort of taken, <laughs> no. taken your interest at all? Back on JBH here. I'll take a quick look, but uh, yeah. I, ex I expect it just to be an inside day, really. Um, yeah, yeah, gotcha. 
I mean, the best I could hope for is perhaps a retest uh, that's coming here. So we, we can also look at this as a breaker range. Sure. Um, okay. Come back as a retest. So when it comes back down to maybe 59.36, just open up a trade. And am I able to? Yep. Sweet. There we go. I'll do a limit order. Target market, whatever. Let's go. Five hundred shares at least. That gets you get six thousand dollars in. Get a starter. Gonna wait for a slightly better price. Come down another tick or two. Love it. Love go it. Go a bit harder. Um set a stop ideally. Probably looking just to Yeah. About six or seven ticks below this uh pivot point. Give it, give it some room because the larger the denomination of a stock, the larger the stop should be. I think a good way of looking at this that I explained to some people is, um, I, I know some people uh, in my Discord as well get a little bit um, indecisive on where to put a stop on a stock with you know $60, the large denom. Um, sometimes they keep it too tight. You know, you're looking at this just visually you look at this stock and you're like, oh, maybe somewhere here, which is only maybe like three ticks below the pivot point. But then divide the stock by 10 and, you know, imagine this is a $6 stock and then or even a 60 cent stock. I mean, are you going to are you gonna buy a 60 cent stock and stop out at 59.75 or 59.5? Gotcha. Yeah, okay. That's it's an like, no, give it, give it a little bit more room. Now, with, um, with a stock at, uh, at 60, obviously you don't want to set a stop at uh, 59, uh, let's say, what would that be like, $59, that's obviously too far. But you've got to be a bit reasonable in terms of um, how far it can dip because if you look at the range of every candle, you can get an idea of just how much it can dip. In fact, you can look here at this pivot point that we pointed out earlier from yesterday, you can just get an idea of just how much that is. That's four, four ticks. So four ticks would guarantee a stop out that's four ticks there, so 59.32. So maybe just one tick below that. And that's just an example. I mean, that, that was a pretty key level here, and this one is probably not, uh, there's going to be less liquidity because we're further on in the morning. It's less likely to wick down that far. So that's just kind of me talking out loud. It, it, you know, these are like the little intricacies of, of, of the intro. It's a pretty, it seems to be a pretty, for that particular strategy, pretty simple when I don't say it in a, in a derogatory way, but a pretty simple kind of process in terms of, you don't have to think too hard about, okay, stop, it's broken out, stop here. It's not like you're sitting there managing stops or, you know, need to watch it for the rest of the day. No, yeah, it's very straightforward. Mm. Um, very straightforward. It's even better when it has lots of liquidity. <laughs> Trust me, it's so much better when it has liquidity because when um, when something has liquidity, I find that it just respects technicals far better. I mean, mm. that might sound like real common sense to you and me, but for the average punter mm. trying to do a setup like this, um, on a stock that just an everyday stock, let's say, you know, JB Hi-Fi, you could call it liquid, fairly liquid compared to other stocks in its, you know, its peers based on uh, market cap. Uh, you could say it's it's got more liquidity because it's just been on a massive tear and there's just more eyes on it. And that's why it's more liquid and this kind of trade setup can work because it's just been on an absolute stonker. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, even though it doesn't have a catalyst, this is why this setup can still work. And, 
it'll be really fascinating here if it just hits perfectly and then just rallies and makes everything it makes me look like a genius you know, <laughs> you know one or two ticks stop but Love you know and, and then the question is you know where's the take profit well then you can look at sort of a key levels from yesterday i mean you could open up the two-day vwap which we can't do here but that might be a sort of a level uh the obvious one is the pivot from yesterday and then if it breaks through that then you got the close as well so then the question is where do you take profit the profit target is um just below this pivot point is take a partial and then just partial 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 yeah. out so i don't i don't ever try and hit out everything all at once i think that's um not ideal because you you're never going to pick the top now, I think a good way uh, of explaining this is uh, how often do you pick the top, the very top, like one in 10 or one in 20 times? Like how often do you mm. really pick the top? So then if you're, if, you know, nine times out of 10, you're not picking the top, then why are you closing everything out when it's not the best place to close out? Yeah. So that's why I like to take partials at key levels and uh, build on position. So if this goes up again, um, so obviously we've got a little, Thing here, so it could just add on a little bit more. Ideally, um, I would want bigger size. I was hoping to come down just a little bit more, maybe a tick or two, so I can add on much harder to this position, maybe like 2,000 shares at, on top of the 500. And then from here, I'd be adding on 500 as it breaks this level as well. So it's kind of building onto the position a little bit. Um, and another thing I like to do as well is uh, start small to guarantee an entry. So you can just see this entry here that 500 shares I put in. It wasn't perfect the entry hence why the size was small so as it gets better and better size up more and more it reduces the risk to the downside so i kind of want to get the best entry possible with the largest amount of size and that way minimize risk maximize reward and you know if, if it just rallies um without me and i don't get my add-on great i can get an add-on here um the same size probably 500 shares and then you know whatever that makes me if it makes 100 bucks or something great you know it didn't make it didn't make the the five six hundred I could have, but I'm not going to complain about making something. So it's a it's a psychological thing to sort of build into the position and scale out for me. So and that and and that gap, uh, Demo, that doesn't say anything to you outside of just setting the initial range. Uh, sorry, can you say that again? So that gap down this morning that yep. doesn't convey some wider meaning to you you just use that to start no. the initial range yep. that's right it, it, that's right it doesn't doesn't mean anything because it's a it's a non non-issue of a day like there's just nothing mm -hmm. going on the us is closed it's a gap down just probably because it's just rallied so hard and maybe there's no lead in from the us for us to go to the upside some more so it's just an excuse to gap down take profits and and stay in an inside day now this this sort of pivot here would be a, a sort of a really interesting point to break this 5870 but that didn't happen so what we end up doing is kind of trading inside of yesterday's range like it would surprise me if it went above yesterday's close so really the range for today ideally should be just here just in this sure. range gotcha yeah great mate if we can quickly talk about your small cap stuff i know that's probably been a bit more of a challenge over the last 18 months but can we talk mm -hmm. about how you would use a catalyst on a micro or small cap stock to then uh base a trade just talk me through like what's the, what's the basic things you look for in an announcement the basic things you look for um in terms of risk and things like that and how that eventuates to you actually executing sure so a lot of this is peer comparison that i do 
So if I have a drill result, um, I've put out a spreadsheet. Uh, it's on my. It's the very first video on my YouTube channel. That I, I put out a spreadsheet, and uh, it might have been the second. But th there's a spreadsheet that I put out on just everywhere, and it's the, the mining spreadsheet that shows you the mid, high grade, uh, and sort of the. I think I put in intercepts as well, and like what's a good thickness. So that sort of gives you a benchmark of whether something is considered a good drill result or not. And uh, based on that, I've got peer comparisons as well. So I, I know, <clears throat> sorry, I know based on just experience, based on trading other peers, that if I have, let's say, a, a rare earth announcement come out, it's got 1500 parts per million. It's got about 20 meters of intercept, relatively shallow. It's got maybe three intercepts like that. That's going to get me about 15 mil market cap. So I already know the price target based on peer comparisons because rare earths are relatively hot. They might not be as hot as they were maybe like six to 12 months ago, but they're still relatively interesting. And I'm just going to just add on maximum 500. Sorry, um, mate, you're paper trading with too much size, obviously. <laughs> so let me just uh, get this trade going. Did I max out the account or something? What's I'm having problems with. Uh... All right. Um, anyway, that's unfortunate. Oh, it might be, but yeah, uh... because of your orders or something, you might have resting. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll leave it at that. Sure. But um, sorry. Uh, so peer comparisons are sort of a, a key driver. Sorry, and to... when you say peer comparisons, just for for those at home. Peer comparison being other rare earths that have previously announced similar results have moved yeah. to a certain market cap based on um, the results that they've announced. And so then you infer that when they put a uh, when they put out an announcement, a new company with a catalyst, that yep. the inference is that the company should be worth this much based on what they've discovered. Yeah, that's right. So while I'm trying to panic close my positions that aren't filling, and this feels very familiar. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. So um, companies will bring out announcements. And for me, it's about understanding where it, where they peak, and that's going to be my peer comparison. So I'm going to look at stocks historically, or rather I'll, I'll sort of have a database of where stocks have gone. Now I'm not going to get exactly 1500 PPM examples, I might get like 16, 1800, 2000 PPM or um, 900 PPM. So I've got like a sort of a, an idea in my head of how they can move and what their peak market cap is. In fact, I've actually started writing a little database uh, in Discord. I've got a little channel just for um, something I can refer back to or other users can refer back to if they you know type in gold, for example, and they can see previous gold hits and um, what conditions, what shares on issue there is, what market cap they peak at. And peak market cap is actually the most important one. So where a stock ends up going is kind of useless information. So it's about finding out where it peaks. And now would be a good time to close out as it gets to break even, because I think it's dipped a little bit too far. It'd probably be a break and retest of the downside. But I also don't want to take a short um, so yeah, that's 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 the peer comparison aspect. So when I have a, a stock, like I said, 1500 PPM, it gets 15 mil market cap, that's the peak. Now there's other aspects to that trade as well, such as how many shares on issue are there? 
how much historical baggage does it have in the last 12 months? You know, is this, are we in all time high territory for this stock or are we in the like yearly high? And if that's the case, then it's more likely to get to that 15 mil market cap target. Now, if rare earths are particularly hot, as in it's been running in the last few weeks and some stocks, then that 15 mil market cap might become something like 16 to 17. And then how many shares on issue? Are we sitting at 100 mil shares on issue? If we are, then we're probably going to get to that 17 mil market cap target. But also how much spread is there as well? So one has to balance out spread with shares on issue because if you have too low shares, then you're going to have big spread and people are going to hesitate. But you have too many shares, you end up with like a billion or two billion, then the stock's just not going to go anywhere. You mean it, like it might push from nine mil to ten mil and completely miss the other five mil uh, on the peer comparisons. So it's actually a, a pretty interesting balance of information that you got to weigh. There's like a bit of a ranking system. Um, it's not something that's that's like written down anywhere. It's kind of intuitive. I guess once you trade for a couple of years or even just just one year, if you're reading announcements every day and you're seeing the important news announcements like stocks that have gone up 30, 40%. It's important to take note of the shares on issue, the market cap target, the peak market cap, uh, the drill results that it's had. And uh, it just, just build a database of just like understanding where it can go. And then not only that, but the different types of that one particular commodity that you can have. So I only learned this one recently because it burnt me so much is um, ion clay or ionic clay for rare earths. 1500 ppm is is decent, but 1500 ppm for hard rock or carbonatite is absolute garbage. So you're going to need like three, four percent for that thing to move to 15 mil market cap plus. So I got burnt on that because I just thought, hey, 1500 ppm of rare earths is yeah, they're all the same, but no, they're not. <laughs> so same thing, same thing with lithium. You know, you got um, spodumene, you've got um, uh, shit. What's the one starting with L that no one likes? Uh, Leopardite. And uh, yeah, it's important to understand those differences as well. So that's kind of what I do in the spec end is really analyze maybe like five aspects of a stock before I take the trade. Yep. If I was to just summarize what you just put um, to us as as if you were to see an A plus setup in mm-hmm. this end, it sounds like the drill results are very good. They are good drill results. If you look at the left-hand side of the chart, there's no historical baggage. And what you mean by that is there's no, um, there hasn't been a significant move to the downside where you have people that are still in positions who may want to exit. Um, up, up or down, but yeah, basically high okay. volumes. Yeah, okay. And so you sort of almost want um, ability for it to be fresh, new. There hasn't been an existing sort of overhang of supply. You want a good amount of shares on issue, which is a balance. And that good amount of shares on issue looks like it's liquid enough so that spreads are, um, I guess, quite as tight as, as you'd like without there being risk of, of you know, someone hitting a spread and, and it gapping down X cents. But then yep. you also don't want the shares on issue too high as to the point where the stock doesn't move. Does that sort of summarize that? Is there anything I'm missing there? Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much bang on. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so how do gaps work? Because you might obviously get, um, you know, other people might ingest this information and the stock might gap 20% or 50% or something like that. Where 
where do you sort of see that risk reward not playing out anymore? So big gaps are interesting. Uh, they're a big psychological barrier for some people. So this is where peer comparisons are important because you can understand, you know, if that if that eight mil market cap stock is gapping up thirty percent or something, so it's opening up, let's say, eleven mil, eleven and a half mil market cap, but you know the peak value is roughly fifteen mil, you've got a lot of room to work with on that gap up. So that gap up shouldn't be a, a factor to uh, to scare me off. Um, also, a rule of thumb is the larger the gap, the bigger the rally tends to be. That's not, I know some people think of that as a bit unintuitive or they might think of that and think of the times where they've got caught in a gap up and get burnt. Um, so a lot of people kind of hesitate with gap ups. But I, I think the general rule of thumb is the bigger the gap, generally the better the performance provided you understand the news if you don't understand the news yeah big gap is going to scare the shit out of you so it's it's a it's a combination of learning uh, the fundamentals and what they're roughly worth compared to you know just going in blind and you know, it's a big gap up therefore demoniaco says it's a big rally i'm just going to go long every time it just doesn't quite work like that it's a bit of nuance there and uh look it's it's not just mining as well so some examples um of non-mining catalysts is uh, FDA approvals. So there's uh, an understanding difference between FDA approvals and FDA clearance. You know, some some traders clearly haven't got the memo that FDA clearance means nothing. A stock will gap up 25%. And that's exactly a situation where you don't want to take the match because um, FDA clearance is garbage. FDA approval, different story, different kind of de-risking, and a stock can really just shoot up to the moon. doesn't matter what the market cap is. And then you got another example of um, court cases. I love court cases. They happen like once a year. They're a very sort of niche trade, but um, I saw it once back in the day, like 2016-ish. I saw what happened and I was like, oh, I'll keep an eye out on this. Very interesting kind of news. It was something to do with Mongolia and train stations or a train line being approved or something like that. This was back in 2016. I can't remember the ticker or anything. I just remember it was something in Mongolia with trains. And then it got approval and... Uh, it got sorry it was a court case that uh, came out with a very positive outcome but if you look at the stock's history it was getting beaten down hard it was something like a dollar and dropped down to 20 cents or something so a positive court approval launched it to gap up 30 cents so plus 50 percent and then just launched to 50 cents 60 cents it was basically an intraday bag so those are the kinds of trades i take as well so it's very niche it doesn't happen very often but you know, a beaten down stock on um, on a bad court case that came out with good positive outcomes is a massive trade for me. I, yeah. I take those every single time. Okay, Mata hates and- court cases, so that's that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. He's uh, he's fine. My lawyers will uh, be in touch with you, jokes. Ah, uh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Um, the only other thing on that is, and I see you mention this quite often um, just in chat and things like that around uh, psychological levels in terms of um, there's certain price points that have um, either a pull or a resistance. Can you just quickly um, talk to us about how those characteristics may um, influence how you trade and execute these these sorts of trades? Sure. So a stock on Catalyst, and this isn't necessarily a day one thing either, this can go on for two or three days. But a stock that has catalyst around the five cent level, five to six cents, when they have catalyst and they launch to 8.4, for whatever reason, once it hits, once a stock hits 8.4 cents intraday, 
it practically always gets to 9.6. Now, I, I, when I say 9.6, I'm talking like it feels like about 95%. Um, and then 90% to get to like that 10 cent level. Now, it depends on the, the, the heat of the market and the spec end. But, you know, sometimes that 10 cent level is a just a massive magnet like people like to push it to 10 cents i don't know why i don't know how and i never really cared to find out i just know that every time a stock gets to 8.4 it's very likely going to push to 10. i don't care what the news is i don't care what the market cap target is at times if the liquidity is strong if it's hot then once it gets to 8.4 it's just gonna get there now there are some circumstances where the market's a bit quiet, let's say, you know, the first week in January, and you get this kind of move from six cents to 8.4. From there, it might move to 9.6. That's sort of like what I'd call a secondary target. Usually, if it breaks 9.6, it gets to 10. So it's one of those two levels. It's either 9.6 or it's 10. It's about judging where the, uh, how hot the market is. So you, you might have seen uh, this week, um, sorry, last week, you might have seen a couple of 10 cent rallies. And they've even broken through and gone to 13. So it's it's pretty interesting. But um, there, there's that level. There's the um, the dollar level, the $2 level, because $2 is where it starts going from um, half cent ticks to full cent. So instead of 2.05 cents, it's, sorry, 2.05, it goes to 2.1, 2.2, 2.01, 2.02. Sorry, you know what I mean. It, go, yeah. it moves in one cent increments instead of half cent. And um, that's sort of a, a key psychological level. Then you've got the $10 level. And they're just big round numbers. And for whatever reason, there's just a, a pull to get to that level. And then you typically see a big rejection off that level as well. Uh, one of the old school trades that I used to do is um, when a stock gets to 10 cents its first time, there's a pullback to 9.2. So if you remember, I was talking about the double bottoms, how they just used to be really stupid. And now they're just kind of a thing again. Um, that's kind of like the 9.2 level. So 9.2 has been a thing lately so a stock will pull back to 9.2 and then retest 10. so these kind of setups i take almost every day of the week when the market conditions are right and i consider these almost free money trades because you don't have to think too hard like mm. a stock hits 10 where am i going to buy it's like i'm not going to buy 10 or 9.9 .9 and hope it goes 10.5 i'm going to take the easy trade the 9.2 pullback Worst case scenario, it pulls back to $0.09, cents, so 8.9 .9 is the stop loss. So three ticks stop to get uh, eight ticks reward. And it just works so consistently that, you know, when, when they're there, it's just it, I consider it free money. It sounds like just bringing that all back together and, and what you said at the start, it just seems like you're doing more pattern recognition, um, even at that level around those, those levels and things like that. You have just been in the market, you watch... And that has allowed you to draw patterns and the things that then influence your trading um, to go on. That's right. You, you see the same thing over and over and over again. You'd start, you know, it'd be, you'd be stupid not to take the trades that you keep seeing that work. You don't, you don't ask questions as to why they work. You, they just do. You know, the amount of time someone's asked me is why 9.2? Fuck, I don't know. Why, why mountains? You know, why do they exist? I don't fucking know. I'm sure there's a, really deep explanation to it but i'm not going to go find out you just there's a mountain climb it there's 9.2 buy it yeah you fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> and mate that that seemed to be another and again i don't say this in a, in a bad way but a very simple strategy does that have you kind of migrated to those kind of strategies to help with that psychological mental side of trading 
Full time? Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Does it take um, a load off your brain not having the, you know, more complex trading strategies or? Well, it, it's funny because the, the emotional aspect is always there. Um, it never goes away. I think it's just a matter of managing or, or realizing what it feels like and then just accepting that it's there and ignoring it uh so that it sounds really simple to go hey a stock just shot up from six cents to ten cents and then buy the 9.2 but i guarantee if you write down that trade on paper that that's what demon says to do hmm. and then you look at the order book when it's happening you're gonna shit bricks you're not gonna want to take that trade i guarantee the first three times you see that happen you're not gonna want to take that trade even I don't want to take that trade when I look at it. Because you look at the order book and you're like, wow, it's really thinned out. You know, you've got rug pulls from 9.8 to 9.6. They're all just gone. Um, there's no liquidity. If, you know, if you've got like a 50K stack, uh, sorry, more like um, more like a 250K stack at 10 cents now. And you've got maybe just a few thousand shares, maybe 10K at 9.3, you know, 4K at 9.2. And the order book just looks absolute garbage. So that emotional aspect doesn't go away because I'm seeing the same the same thing every time and based on what i know about tape reading and just trading generally is when you see a tape like that it elicits a response of don't don't do it that's terrible but then you got to sort of push past that and just execute it anyway because the number of times that trade has failed super low and what you'll see is um, i'll be one of the first people in at 9.2 9.3 sometimes 9.1 depending on how hot the book is but generally it's not hot and i'll be the first one in and then the liquidity will come in and then i'll sort of help push a stock to the upside and that that emotional aspect doesn't go away it just doesn't it's about managing it learning that it's there and i think that's that's one aspect that people don't take seriously um they'll look at their they'll look at their pnl they'll look at their trade reviews they'll talk about the trade but they won't talk about how they felt about it they won't talk about how how gut-wrenching it was to be the only person in at 9.2 and there's just practically no liquidity and you know maybe like five grand could send it down to 8.8 or something like that and you'll just be down a significant chunk of capital and it's just yeah i don't think people respect that emotional aspect very much and i think that's that's one of the core aspects of trading is acknowledging it and ignoring it and it's way harder than it seems and I feel bad about this JBH trade because I just got sucked out. <laughs> that's all right. That's that's the game of trading. It's good that we we can actually visualize it. So that's that's great. You you touched on the psychological stuff, and I think this is this is probably somewhere we might spend the the remainder of our podcast just on psychology. Firstly, before we get into your psychology, new new traders, even seasoned traders. What were some of the things that helped you develop your psychology in terms of any tools or resources that you would like to potentially pass on uh, to those watching or listening that you think could have been instrumental in, in how you were able to develop the psychological side of your trades? I think it's, for me, I didn't, I didn't have resources when I first started. I had nothing. Really, I had nothing. And we're talking 2016. There was nothing on YouTube. There weren't. There were some books, but they were US centric. You know, you got your Mark Minervini and stuff like that, and they weren't really day trading. So it was kind of like just learning the ropes myself. And I think, I think 
it take it took me a lot longer to get to where I am than it would take someone today um, if they started because it's just the wealth of information online. But the psychological aspect that that came as just a form of self awareness that just have to recognize that um, it took me many times to get that ten cent trade right from nine that nine point two pullback. I think is a great example uh, because I know it works with such a high percentage, like high percent chance of working. And I, I sort of recognized that very early, but I also recognized that I just couldn't take the trade for that very reason. That's kind of why I brought it up is because it's probably one of the most difficult ones to deal with from an order book perspective. So if you're a tape reader and you're an order book trader, that's going to look horrific every single time. And it's funny because you look back at it when you actually take the trade or not when you take it, but if you get, yeah, if you take it and get stopped out or if you look at it, you know, the 9.2 is good, but you don't take it. And then at the end of the day, you look at it and you, you go, wow, that, that worked again. And again, I couldn't take it. Or again, I got stopped out too soon. Um, then it just becomes a matter of just reflecting on it and just going, what went wrong? And it's like, oh, I was actually too scared to take it or, yeah, it's just basically too scared to take it. And then it's just about identifying why I was too scared to take it. So it came really as a matter of just self-reflection, really. Um, and understanding that the setup is there, the chart's there, the, the 9.2 is there, but I'm just not taking it. Why am I not taking it? And I think that's a question a lot of people don't ask themselves is why didn't I take it? And they didn't really analyze why. So in terms of psychological stuff it really is just self-taught i can't say that i've read something that's really helped or anything it's it's um it's about pushing past that emotional aspect and just you know like i said there's there's no getting past that gut-wrenching feeling of sometimes taking a really good trade when it looks horrific because you know it's really good statistically and that's that's just such a barrier for some people and it was a barrier for me for a long time okay yep it sounds like although you're discretionary in nature in the way that you trade and perhaps you don't do this, but it sounds like you've seen occurrences happen five, six times, they've worked more times than they don't. And that in itself, creating that system where you understand what the risk reward of, of trades coming out is almost a the, the thing that you lean on when you do actually take a trade and you're going against the grain. You, you recall those last, those previous instances and that that almost allows you to have the confidence and, and gives you the psychological edge to then execute um, regardless of how you're actually feeling in the moment. Is that sound right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Double bottoms were a perfect example. Double bottoms, it's, you know, you got 18 months you're used to looking at this thing and just going, it's not going to work. And then it's you, and then you've got only like three data points in the last week where you're like it did work, and you know you're fighting against three days of data versus eighteen months of where you'd be telling yourself you're a real fucking idiot for taking the trade. But the last three days are your data points, and you're like, well, it's a trend now, and then you execute it. But it, yeah, like I said, it, it's a gut wrenching feeling sometimes because you, you you feel stupid. Um, even though the risk management's there, and you're like, well, you know, okay, I've, it's a six cent stock, I got two cent risk i've got you know significant upside but it still feels stupid it still feels wrong so that that is an aspect that really needs to um i, I can't emphasize enough how significant of an aspect that is to trading 
it's far more important than finding the pattern. <laughs> all, all of this that you have going on and, and you just sort of have recalled it from your head, has it always been in your head? Is there any things that you use? Do you write? Do you journal? Do you track trades? Is there anything like that that you you use? Or is... no. you've, you've got a background in IT as well, don't you? Do you, do you use any te technological advancements made in trading as well? No, no oh. software or anything like that. Um, the only thing I do, like I mentioned, I, I recently opened up a channel. And the only reason I've really done this is uh, I've opened up a channel to take notes on trades that I've uh, looked at, like the peak market cap and stuff like that. Uh, I've only started doing that because there's more and more commodities that are just being of interest. Um, for example, rare earths weren't really a thing back in, you know, pre-2020. Um, uranium wasn't really that interesting back then either, so I didn't need to know uranium grades. It was quite simple. It was just gold, a bit of silver. Um, lithium was hot for about a year or two. And that was it. Those are really the three commodities that were interesting. Maybe graphite, I think, peaked for a little bit. But now now it's far more minerals. You know, you've got um, copper coming in. Nickel is of interest. Um, yeah, uranium, rare earths, and yeah, niobium, particular rare earths, um, NDPR, neodymium, praseodymium, and stuff like that. So finding out the grades of those. So it's getting a little bit more complicated as you know, the market is finding out more interest in different commodities. So I, I've started writing out, you know, peak niobium grades for example because i who knows when i'll ever see that again but you know niobium is still relatively hot there's not much in terms of occurrence that people are drilling for it so i've got it there as a, a sort of a, a reference so when i type in discord um you know in channel commodities uh type niobium and i'll have maybe six stocks five, five stocks that have had you know certain drill results that did really well and i've got some sort of reference point for what i can target on the next niobium trade yeah okay Mate, we've obviously heard a lot about your progression from both learning um, strategies and pattern recognition as well as the psychology. Fast forward today, today, what what is still, if I was to say, what's the biggest challenge for your trading today? What comes to mind? Uh, opportunities. I think okay. finding the right opportunities and adjusting to a lower liquidity environment. Um, that's been pretty terrible as of late. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing less price action on stocks that should have really good performance based on their news catalysts. And that's not just because it's December and January. I'm, like, I'm talking it's for most of 2023. Performance has been unusual um, for catalyst news events. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. Just finding opportunities, I think. Um, that biggest challenge by far. Yeah, yeah. And so 2023 obviously in reflection now is uh you know something with a lot less opportunity and, and you said that you spent more days out of the market than than ever before did you have to do you find yourself adapting your trading style um too much or is it more just a matter of being able to preserve capital for when those opportunities have to arrive uh, they do come about again it is it is mostly about preserving capital but um yeah, it's waiting for when those conditions change. I mean, we've had like pockets of heat in 2023 where let's say, you know, lithium speckies would just stonk. So it's like take advantage of that 
two-week period where lithium's performed really well. Or copper, for example. I mean, copper's now kind of dead, which is unusual. Like, I've never seen that before. So copper stocks just aren't performing anywhere near like they used to. But when there's a little spike for nickel and copper, then just take advantage of that spike. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be going hard on maybe two or three stocks. And then on the fourth one, it's going to perform really badly and take a bit of a dig on the on the P&L. But it is what it is. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I do miss the old days of pre-2020 because um, it feels like it feels like 2020 and 21 had such a surge in both users the amount of capital traded um liquidity went through the roof so it feels like if you were to bring out like a chart or a graph it would kind of like spike to the upside and i think a lot of people would be expecting it to drop back to the mean but it's just going to overshoot to the downside and i think that's what 2023 is it's an overshoot to the downside in both in terms of liquidity and in terms of market participants, because I've got a kind of a unique insight, I think, into how many traders um, are watching YouTube content, for example. This, this is just a massive decline in 2023. Uh, there's a massive decline in the amount of users joining Discord, um, a, a reasonable decline in Twitter engagements for ASX-related content. So I've kind of got an insight into just the actual impact of just the amount of retail traders in the market so and do you mate, do you think that's existing traders dropping out of the market or are the new traders just not being interested they both. traditionally are i yeah. think it's both mm. i think there's just so many people that got involved in 2020 and 2021 um i think people who dropped out probably told their mates who might have been interested that hey yeah now nah, it's a bit of a scam or something like that you know mm. but yeah it's it's really unfortunate but it, it's both um a lot of 2020 traders 2021 as well a lot of them have dropped off and discord is a good example i can i can name so many regulars that have just disappeared off the face of the earth uh from trading so a very very large percentage of them didn't make it that's just what it is right that's that's the mm. game they two years sometimes just isn't enough So you almost use those numbers coming through your Discord and YouTube as a sentiment indicator to see, you know, how much sort of fluff liquidity is in the market there that could drive um, sort of, you know, what would usually be a, a 10 cent move, for example, is it's only sort of been a six, six cent move or something like that. Is that these, right? These days I'd use probably Twitter as a better real-time engagement. I think Discord and YouTube are great for a macro view of what's happening with market participants. Twitter's really good um, as an example for that uh, uranium stock, the I-88 trade um, that happened, uh, if I can... Sorry, mate, I'll up. just pause you, know you the there. Sorry, sure. yeah, your hour is up, if you wouldn't mind uh, closing closing your positions. I know that we had a bit of a bit of technical difficulties there halfway through. That's all right. My apologies. And so That's closing right. out there, we have, what is it? 20,000 down to 19,801. And so that mate puts you right last. there in fourth. No, fourth, you're not last, don't <laughs> worry. We've, we've, we've had worse, but no, thanks, thanks so much for that. You can sort of see from what you were talking about at the start, it was just sort of, um, it, it played out, I guess. Like so, if you yeah, look at worked, that, it worked quite well, didn't it? It's just that you you probably just got stopped out pretty much on the low there, didn't you? Yeah, that was um. Yeah, I was I was trying to exit a little bit too tight. I think it was around mm. thirty, dipped down to twenty six. So that's a, that was a uh, a ten cent dip actually, a much bigger dip than I was expecting. Mm. 
but uh, it is what it is. Um, so you can see it kind of it bounced in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, you know, a, a little wick uh, for one candle makes sense. A second one is just a little bit too much, but mm. it is what it is. You know, yeah, it cost me, cost me very little. And you can see the reward for that one would have been um, far more, but it is what it is. It's holding up. The index is down, uh, what, 85 points? So. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see how it ends uh, at the end mm. of the day. I, I really think 59.75 to 59.90 would be sort of the targets. But yeah, poor execution. No, conceptually, that was great, great insight. And yeah, thank you so much for sort of getting in there at the start and sort of tracking exactly what you thought uh, might prevail. But yeah, just execution at the end hey, of the Dem day caught you there. Demo, can I just ask you, and I asked this because I was watching one of your videos and you made an offhand comment that, oh, that's because I'm a shit trader. And I know you're only <laughs> joking there, but that's something that I'd say as well. How do you view your, like, what, what do you think are your strengths? Do you think you're an excellent trader? What, how do you view yourself currently in 2020? Very marginal trader. <laughs> Very average. I don't even know. Um, so definitely, like, there, there's just, I can name quite a few people that are so substantially ahead of me. And they probably always will be. Like, I think I, I just, I plateau and that's it. Like, I know people, some people just go exponential and, you know, that's really awesome to see. I don't have that. I'm not an exponential trader. I don't get twice as good as last year or the year before that. You know, the, the curve doesn't just go like that. Um, sort of just leveled off and I'm very happy with that. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly fine with it. So, yeah. And what do you um, see with those successful traders or people that you viewers successful is there any kind of traits or what are you what do you see in them it's hard because i i don't really know so i got so the guys in my discord that have been trading for 20 plus years have also kind of hit a plateau um they kind of you know they're, they're not going you know plus 20 percent year on year or anything like that but um you know they're they they trade substantially more than I do as well. So yeah, you know, I like to hang around traders that <laughs> perform better than I do. And mm. yeah, I, I I would hate to be the top dog because that that means I can only get worse from there. So if I yeah. trade with people that have you know been in the markets for twenty thirty years, I've got people that know way more than I do, and there's just always more to learn. But um, in terms of what they do, I, I couldn't tell you um, what they do. I guess that's that's why I'd have to ask and hang out with them. Mm. <laughs> so. I guess it just really comes down to experience. I, I think mm. the, um, if I was to guess, I would say the personality traits they have might be more conducive to trading or to that, that, that level of performance. They just might have that personality or that, that's, yeah, that's all I can think of really. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm. Mara, can you ask your million dollar question? I'm really interested to hear what Demo has to say about that. Well, we just kind of generally asked Demo what, you know, looking at the market and the state of the market today, what if you had a million bucks and we said come back in a year and, and try and do what we've done in an hour today, what, uh, any any thoughts? Just anything, right? Any particular stock or any particular direction or just, anything. just anything? Could be, could be in the bank. Could be in orange um, juice futures. <laughs> Big upside potential. Yeah. Um, Jokes. Me, that was I, a joke. I, Not uh, financial advice. Not <laughs> I really, really dig the state of um, micro cap goldies at the moment. Like the, I, I've talked about it 
for the last month or two. I've been trading, uh, for example, the stock AUN. Again, I don't know the name, so I can't show you the chart, but um, I've been trading that one from two cents to three cents and then, you know, two cents again to 2.9 or whatever. But um, these goldies have just so much gold in the ground that are heavily undervalued. Now, we're looking at stocks that are trading at, uh, based on actual existing gold that's inferred in, in the ground or indicated. We're looking at maybe like eight, eight dollars an ounce maybe as low as six for some stocks and they'd be typically trading at in terms of market cap that is so eight dollars um sorry let me let me bring up i actually wrote this down i can't remember if it's eight dollars an ounce exactly so it's yeah yeah that's it so it's they used to trade at 40 to 50 dollars an ounce for gold and that's when gold was trading at about 1400 us um, so a lot of goldies are super undervalued. So I'd be I'd be polling in there. Um, not to suggest AUN is the best of them, but that's just one example mm-hmm. of uh, just something I've been sort of range trading. That's a purely based on based on just how low the uh, the gold um, I guess sentiment is at the moment. So I think it's a matter of when, not if these goldies recover. And there's probably about ten goldies that I found that are super undervalued. So it's worth shopping around for, and I wouldn't surprise me if uh, they broke out sometime in 2024. Okay. So a million dollars spread across ten gold speckies. All right, that was AUN, and that was financial advice. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no, that's not. No. Oh no. Asik would cross us off before we even get started. <laughs> Goodness me. Jeez, mate. Real quick, your one month challenge. Can you just talk me through conceptually the reasoning behind that? Uh, yeah, so um, I guess I just wanted to highlight how how it doesn't matter what your account size is to an extent. I mean, it sucks when you don't have margin, if you have 100% margin on speckies and stuff like that. But even, even with an account like that, I still managed to push it to 3K. So um, I did a video, for those who don't know, from... I guess it was just called the one month challenge. I just wanted to highlight what I can do in one month with that account. I think a lot of people estimated it might you know, be plus 30% or something like that. But to take it to plus 200%, uh, show all the trades that happened, you know, every single trade that happens, screen cap it and all that. So uh, the idea there is just, I think one of the biggest problems with uh, newer traders is they feel like they need a 10K account, a 50K account, or just like lots of capital. But, you know, if you can't make money at $100 a tick or $10 a tick, well, sorry, if yeah, why would you trade in larger denominations or larger size per tick? So why not trade at $2 a tick? You know, if you're still not profitable at $2 a tick, you're going to have a problem trading anything higher. Yep. Um, so the advantage is liquidity is going to be less of a problem. So you can sort of build into it as well. So as you build up that size, you can focus on liquidity more and more or you know focusing on what's in the order book and managing your size that way but i think yeah it really is just goes to highlight that you don't need a large account to be profitable yeah yeah no that's great and it's just a i guess you sort of if you are a newer trader to earn your stripes don't go in guns blazing because you know if you can't make ten dollars you can't make ten thousand by the sounds of it and it really is just a lot of it was range breaks that I just showed you today. 
a lot of it was range break trades mm. so really basic stuff with catalyst news events to make it more exciting of course but yeah so it's it's not complicated it's not hard no no fucking macd's no rsi's no 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 indicators or anything like that except maybe vwap and volume but that's about okay. it just keep it simple and if people yeah. want to follow that mate is that on um your discord or twitter or youtube or yeah uh on twitter at demoniaco asx on youtube it's at demoniaco and yeah that's it yeah you can find links to discord uh links to discord in both of those uh social media yeah and i'll put them in in the uh, description of the video and in the show notes on the audio versions as well for those who are interested in following you and and sort of joining those communities i think um it's probably a really good starting place there's a lot of um, like-minded people there and it's a great way to to sort of get your taste that there are other traders out there when it is uh, quite a lonely a lonely exercise so mate thank you so much it does like looking back on the hour that was your what you're telling and, and displaying to us on the chart there sort of has has played out great you I mean we still got a circle around that that perfect pivot point where i had to sort of cut you out there so my apologies on the hour there <laughs> oh, but um, mate thank you so much for for coming on um really really appreciate it and you know all the best for your 24 trading and you know for those listening and viewing make sure you go check him out if you like what you saw and and heard today please uh you know comment subscribe and, and talk about who who maybe we should be um sort of talking to next and and we'll keep keeps soldiering on i think we're Marto and I are aiming for an episode a week for 24. So there's obviously a lot of successful traders out there. We've just got to convince them um, to come on. So thank you for being so generous with your time today, mate. Appreciate that. Thanks, Dan. No walkers. Thanks, guys. Cheers, buddy. Easy. Cheers, guys. Thanks, fellas. Bye.